Remember, remember the 5th of November. I don't know how many of you have seen the really bad and pretty unwatchable movie V for Vendetta, uh, but that was based off of a character person, Guy Fox, um, who he's not super, I wouldn't say he's super famous, but I mean, he's relatively well known. And today, the 5th of November is sort of the day where he is remembered. Uh, he was, um, he died in 1606 after he was found guilty and was going to be tortured to death uh, for high treason. And so often he is memorialized and remembered as sort of this, the original anarchist. But that's not who Guy Fawkes was. Uh, Guy Fawkes was actually a Roman Catholic, a devout Roman Catholic, who wanted to basically kill Protestants, is really what this was about. The, you can do your research on Guy Fawkes, but the true story of Guy Fawkes was not this liberation, anarchy, anti-government kind of a guy. He was a devout Roman Catholic, anti-gospel kind of a guy, uh, and... So I, I, I posted on my Facebook today um, a quote from a theologian that I really respect on, on Facebook. And he had said, you know, this is a day where Christians remember the triumph of the gospel. And it's really good. But Guy Fox, being a Roman Catholic and attacking people for their religious beliefs is uh, kind of my poor segue into two things I wanted to talk about today. So I, I said a couple weeks ago in the program, I was going to start a Roman Catholicism series. And uh, my wife is going to be so mad at me because she does, she's she been warning me not to make promises that I don't follow through on. So Layla, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, babe. I love you. Um, but I think I'm going to put that on hold. And the reason was I was going to start it last week, but I wanted to have that conversation with Riley. As I did say, conversations with people are, are more important than sort of the, the arbitrary topics I come up with. And then I wasn't going to start it this week because I was going to have another conversation with someone, but that got pushed to next week. So I'm really looking forward to next week. I'm going to have a conversation with my good friends um, from college, Justin Braylish, we're going to have a good conversation, I believe, uh, if I recall correctly. We're going to talk a little bit about the about immigration and refugee crisis and, and all that stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation and to hearing from him again. So I hope you'll tune in next week. But that was supposed to be for today, and um, it was my own fault. I didn't manage my time well. We weren't able to, to, to talk. So I kind of had to come up with something at the last second. So I didn't want to start a thing on Roman Catholicism. I'm already a week late, and... Next week, I would have to take an inevitable break, so I wanted to do something a little different, and the Guy Fox thing just, it triggered in my mind, uh, and I think this was already fresh on my mind because of the recent shootings at the synagogue, the Tree of Life synagogue, um, where a terrorist went in and killed, an anti-Semitic terrorist went in and killed Jews, and uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, I was going to write a blog on it, but just decided, uh, you know, I'll rant about it on the podcast, are hate crimes. Uh, Guy Fox, what he technically did, according to the FBI, is considered a hate crime. Or it would be considered a hate crime today. Hate crimes are an interesting thing. Uh, they are recognized legally by the FBI as being a real category of offense. And so what I wanted to talk about today, and, and obviously the you know, there was talks of hate crime with the anti-Semitic terrorist. You know, he was very clear. He went in to kill those people just because they were Jews. 
So I wanted to talk about hate crimes today. And I want to talk about why I hate hate crimes. Now, let me clarify that. What I'm not saying is that I hate the actual crimes being committed. I do hate those. Let me be very clear. I do hate those. To murder someone for their race or their sexual, you know, um, sexual preferences or their religious beliefs is hateful and wrong. Biblically, I repudiate it. It's a sin and God will judge it on the last day. Uh, but that being said, the category of a hate crime is something that I hate. And I want to give three reasons why all Christians should hate hate crimes. You should not support the establishment of a this kind of a classification of crimes. And there are more than three reasons why. But I want to give just my most important three reasons why. The first one is really simple. And the first one is because the name is stupid. Uh, right? That's really simple. I put a lot of time into that one, as you can tell. The name is stupid. Uh, hate crimes. So it's a crime motivated by hate. Here's the problem. All crimes are motivated by hate. Right? If, if, if you break into my house and try to murder me and my wife, I don't, it doesn't matter what the specific motivation is. It's hateful. Right? Uh, to, to, to rob someone's store is hateful. To vandalize someone's property is hateful. So it's just, it's a bad name. And, and, but honestly, it's more than that. It's a dangerous name. When you read George Orwell's essay politics in the english language and you you read the way our political ramifications of words destroy and corrupt language which eventually goes on to destroy and corrupt thought this is just one of the classic examples of that that they couldn't come up with a more specific or more creative name uh other than a hate crime they've actually destroyed the word hate <laughs> it really doesn't have meaning anymore and that's what these political ramifications and that's what they do to language so number one, it's just a, it's just a dumb name. All crimes are hateful. You have to have some sort of hatred in your heart to commit a crime. All murder, all theft, all vandalism, all of these things are motivated and fueled by hatred, either hatred of God, hatred of brother, or both. But let's get into the more substantial reasons why we as Christians should hate hate crimes. And the, the next two reasons I wanted to give three total is Number one, because we're not polytheists. And number two, because it's a foothold for legislation, right? Well, I guess it's two and three, not one and two. Number two, we're not polytheists. Number three, it's a foothold for legislation. Here's what I mean by that. Andrew Breitbart was famous. I believe he's the one who coined it. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, someone, at least. I believe it was Andrew Breitbart. was famous for saying that Politics is downstream of culture. Politics is downstream of culture. What is he saying by that? He's saying that the politics of the day, today's politics, today's legislation will ultimately be influenced by the culture. So the legislation doesn't shape culture. Culture shapes legislation. I think we see that, right? Just to give one quick, a couple quick examples, it, this is a much bigger idea than just these two very small examples. But let me just give them, you know, Barack Obama was not an LGBTQ plus advocate when he took office. He did not support homosexual marriage, but he ended up doing that and he would have supported legislation for it. What changed? 
the politics didn't change him, and then he influenced the culture. It was the other way around. The culture influenced him, and then he began to influence and speak into politics. The culture influences the politics. Politics is downstream of culture. Donald Trump is another good example. This was a man who was nothing close to a staunch pro-life conservative, and then all of a sudden he starts running for office, and he realizes the culture of the – he can't happen, so he becomes all of a sudden pro-life. Maybe that's not as strong of an example, but but I, I, I hope you believe the point. I hope you see the point. If you don't, email me, resistingthewinds at gmail.com. But the culture influences politics. It's not the other way around. However, it was Doug Wilson who added something so important to that, which is that, yes, politics is downstream of culture, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Religion or culture is downstream of religion. So culture shapes politics, but what creates culture? What shapes culture? Religion. And that's why I, I have been convinced, whether you're a post-millennial or not, I think you can still agree with this, but I have been convinced by many of the post-millennial writers who describe culture as a religion's exoskeleton. Culture is the manifestation of a society's religion and i and i think this is true i mean if you were to walk around in america you would you know you would depending on where you live in the time of yearly you live you would probably see some um women dressed or let me put it this way you'd probably see some women who are barely dressed right you would see some scantily clad women women who who are you know, all of this would depend on where you're at and the circumstances, but it would not be uh, uncommon to, to see that in America. Now, if you were to go to Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't see that out in the public. You would see quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't see women at all because of how they are clothed. Now, what's the difference? Is it a cultural difference? Yes. It, it wouldn't be wrong for a mom to, you know, to, if, if their child observed this to say well their culture is different than ours but here's the problem we both know there's more than just arbitrary culture going on here there are religious reasons in saudi arabia that are affecting the culture right those are deep-seated religious reasons and i would call all of us to understand that what's happening in america is no different we are a religious culture always Every culture is religious. Every culture has a god or a set of gods it's worshiping. And those theologies, those worship techniques, will manifest in culture. I mean, our culture, for example, loves to slaughter babies. We live in a country that loves to kill and torture and slaughter babies. When we look at other cultures who have done that in the past, take the Aztecs. We have no problem admitting that the Aztecs did that for religious reasons. They, they sacrificed other innocent human beings because of their religious reasons. So they had a culture of murder, a culture of, of blood. And their culture, that cultural practice, that tradition that everyone just accepted and was part of, was created by the kinds of gods they were worshiping. And then all of a sudden we get to America and we've slaughtered 60 million ba babies on our altars, but uh, that's not religiously motivated. Well, it is. What you believe about God will affect what you believe about abortion. 
What you believe about God will affect what you believe about politics. Everyone has a God. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone is devoutly, pietistically religious. And their religion manifests in their life. And then when enough people's religion is manifesting, we now have a culture. Culture is downstream of religion. And so the reason I say that I can't agree with hate crimes is because I'm not a polytheist, is because to agree with hate crimes is to essentially bow the knee to the secular gods. This was a concept created by the religious gods, by, 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 by secularism, which is a religion. And it's a polytheistic religion where everyone is their own god. It's a hyper-polytheistic religion. And the gods, the council of gods, have made this sacred category of people, specifically race, gender, and or gender identity, and sexual preference. The, the, those gods value those offerings, those sacrifices, those, those acts of obedience so much that those gods have made those unique. And so by agreeing to this hate crime category, which is nowhere in the Bible, if you were to read the Bible, the Bible says murder is wrong and it doesn't really care about your motives. Murder is wrong. When Cain killed Abel, God was not relieved that it wasn't on the basis of Abel's skin. God was not relieved that it wasn't because of because Cain found out a or that yeah Cain found out Abel had a boyfriend. God hated it because it was murder. Now, why does God hate murder so much? From a biblical monotheistic perspective, the image of God. We as human beings bear the image of God. We bear God's image. That's what makes murder so horrendous is that when we kill someone, when we end the life of a human being, when we attack a human being, we're attacking God. We're attacking his image. And that's why I don't care if you murdered your neighbor because you saw he had a boyfriend or because he kept continuously, his, his son kept continuously, you know, throwing his balls over the fence into your garden. If you, if you murder your neighbor... You are assaulting the image of God. And so here's why Christians cannot agree with hate crimes. Because a hate crime is actually denying the image of God. That's why we're not polytheists. We're Christians. We believe in the image of God. Hate crimes want you to deny the image of God. And it wants you to place other things about that person as being more important. When you murder someone because of the color of their skin... And that suddenly legislatively becomes worse. It carries with it a worse punishment. It's a worse crime than marrying someone because, you know, they they insulted your, your favorite sports team. What we are doing is we are saying it's not the image of God in that person that makes murder so important. It's the race of that person that made the murder so important. It's the gender. It's the sexual preference. When we raise the racial identity, the sexual preference identity, the religious, all of these things, we are raising them over and above the image of God. And so what we're ultimately saying is that these particular traits are more important than the God of Scripture. What is that called? That's idolatry if you buy into it. That's blasphemy. So I cannot believe in hate crimes because I'm not a polytheist. 
I don't want to worship and the 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 sacred um, the sacred cows of a false god. My Bible doesn't tell my Bible says the most important thing about that person is not their skin color, it's not their sexual preferences, it's the image of God within them. Hate crimes wants me to deny that and it wants me to accept the importance of that person on the basis of another god. It wants me to take another god's opinion on that matter and I refuse to be a polytheist. Murder is murder. It's always hateful, it's always wicked. And it, whether it's on the basis of skin color, sexual preference, or a grudge, because of the image of God, those three motives are all equally heinous. One is not worse than the other. So hate crimes, ironically, actually diminish. They actually devalue people. Their purpose is to try to give certain classes of, of minorities, oppressed people more value, but we're actually devaluing them. Because we're taking away the most important thing they have, which is bearing God's image and saying your skin color is more important than God's image. Who you date is more important than God's image. And as a Christian, I refuse to worship those gods. You see, what, what hate crimes are doing, a hate crime is, is a pressure point. It's applying pressure to the sacred cows, to the, to, to the golden calves of false religions. Uh, that's why, you know what hate crimes are? They're just the secular jargon for blasphemy laws, right? Doug Wilson pointed this out in his documentary, Free Speech Apocalypse. You, if you were to go down and if you lived in Calvin's Geneva and like Servetus were, now there's a lot of misconceptions about Servetus, so I probably shouldn't use him as an example, but let's go with it. If you were to go walking in downtown Geneva, shouting, Jesus is not God, the Trinity is a myth, you'd get in big trouble. More trouble, you know, than if you were just to, to go down and, and, and start yelling about, you know, how 16th century architecture is out of touch, right? Because the Trinity is sacred to that culture's religion as the architecture is not so much. Likewise, you couldn't walk around downtown Saudi Arabia today. You can go to Mecca and stand on a box and shout, Mohammed is not a prophet. Allah is a false god and not expect something really bad to happen to you. Why? Because that that's a religious culture and you have now touched on one of the most sacred and important theological foundations of that culture. So now in America, what do we have? We have cake bakers refusing to bake cakes for gay weddings and they're being accused of, of hate speech or hate laws. You can, you can get hauled away. In Europe, and even in some places in America, just on the basis of something you've said. That's called a, a blasphemy law. Hate speech is blasphemous speech. Hate laws, hate crimes are blasphemous crimes. But they don't want to call it that because they don't want to admit that they're pious, that they're religious. But hate crimes are the golden calves. The, the, the issues that touch hate crimes, race, gender, sexual preference, these are the golden calves of the secular gods. These, this is the most important theology of the secular gods, which is why they've gone out of their way to say, yeah, those other crimes are bad, but you especially can't go here. So why don't I agree with 
hate speech with hate laws because I'm not a polytheist, because I worship the God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible tells me murder is always hateful, violence is always hateful, vandalism, theft, these things are always hateful, and what makes them hateful is that people bear God's image. That is more important than their skin color or their gender identity. They bear the imago dei, they bear God's image. And so because I'm a monotheist, because I love the Lord, the only God who exists, I cannot accept the categories and definitions. I cannot accept the anthropology of my polytheistic culture. Now, the reason, the third reason, so the first one, it's just a stupid name. It doesn't make sense. Hey, Grimes. Second one, I'm not a polytheist, so I cannot worship the gods of secularism and give in to their blasphemy laws and accept their theolo theological principles about man. I can't do that. And then the last one is that this gives a foothold for, for legislation. And I, I wrote about this. Maybe I'll link to it. I'm not sure. Uh, I wrote a blog on why I disagree with safe spaces. And this is the same reasoning. But just like we said, Religion is – culture is downstream of religion and then politics is downstream of culture. So our culture has sort of – has these these idols, these sacred calves, race, um, gender identity, sexual expression. These things are untouchable, sacred uh, things. And so now what is happening is that's beginning to affect the politics and that's why we have hate crimes. And so what have hate crimes do? They, I love there's, – there's a verse that the Apostle Paul uses where he talks about how our anger provides a foothold for Satan. And that's such an amazing metaphor where you know the enemy is looking for traction. He's looking for, a way, for traction in our lives. And our anger sort of gives him a place to, 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 give, to put his foot. And, and hate crimes are just that. I want you to imagine culture like a flat wall, and the government is trying to scale this wall. The government is just looking for more power. The government's looking for more money. The government is looking for more control. The government wants to be God. Government always wants to be God. And the wall is flat, and the government can't climb. And so something like hate speech, something like hate crimes – provide an outcrop of rock so the government can get their foot down and start scaling the wall of our culture. In other words, when you allow things like safe spaces, when you allow things like hate speech, all it does is create categories out of nowhere that the government can now legislate, that the government can now say, uh, we're going to lock you up for this, we're going to fine you for this, you're going to do this because it, 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 it is... It is just traction for the government to have more control. So it's not enough just to tell our government, listen, if someone murders somebody else and it can be proven in court, you need to take them to prison. We all agree with that. The Bible says that's what the government should do. Well, the Bible says the government should execute that person. Now, obviously, that per it, our government doesn't do that if the person isn't born. If the person is unborn, then we can mm -hmm. execute and kill them all we want. The government has, has nothing. But secondarily, now the government can just essentially haul people away for almost anything they don't like under the guise of hate crimes. Anything a Christian does can eventually be in some way categorized by hate crime. A hate crime is just a made-up category that will one day come and be used against Christians for orthodox Christian beliefs. So by creating this category out of thin air, we've given the government something to hang on to, something to grab onto, 
which gives them leverage and their assault against Christian freedom. It's a foothold for legislation. It's a foothold for government power. It's a foothold for the government to gain traction in their opposition to Christian truth. Christians used to be able to say and do things that people in the government didn't like, but we had the freedom to do it, so they couldn't do anything about it. Well, now we have this new category of crime made up in the 80s by journalism. That now all of a sudden the FBI can deem a Christian some kind of terrorist for hate crimes, for hate speech. Because we refuse service to someone on the basis of sexual identity or something like that. So I don't think we realize how dangerous the slippery slope of the hate crime agenda is. So three reasons why you shouldn't agree with hate crimes, aside from the fact that it's just unbiblical. The Bible doesn't have anything like a hate crime. Aside from the fact that it's unbiblical, the name is stupid. You're not a polytheist, so you shouldn't adopt the anthropology and the classifications of false gods. You shouldn't worship the idols of false gods. And lastly, it gives the, the government a foothold for legislation. Politics is downstream of culture. Our culture's obsession with these anti-Christian beliefs are coming for us politically. It's coming for us in the legislation. So we need to be praying for our government, praying for reform, praying for revival, just as Paul commands us that we may lead quiet and peaceful lives. Pray for all those who are in authority. And uh, I hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. Like I said, please tune in next week as I talk to one of my good friends about an important issue. So if you have any questions about my thoughts on hate crimes and hate speech, please email them to me. But until then, thank you so much for your time today. You shine brighter than the brightest sun. The song you've been listening to, um, this podcast episode, is again by Rivers and Robots, working through that band. Very good lyrics uh, in almost every song. This one is called The Eternal Sun. Now, I understand that that's a, a big topic in theology, Christian theology, the eternal sonship. I know MacArthur um, a while back was, you know, having some interesting debates. I think MacArthur even came to change his position. But anyway, the point, the, the, the song doesn't get too deep into that, that, that concept. And, um, and so overall, it's still very, very good. Uh, the song begins, this life is just a fleeting shadow. And I realize that life is found in you alone. Very simple, but very true. I mean, the Bible talks often about how we are a vapor in the wind. Our lives are, are, are a mist, vanishes at dawn, right? Our life is just a fleeting shadow. And our only purpose here is to be found in Christ alone. It continues, until my heart has found its home with all the saints before your throne, I'll live for you alone. Right? That's amazing. This, this beautiful picture of I am not home until I am gathered with my covenant husband, with the bride of Christ, until all of the saints are gathered at the throne of Christ, I'm not home. And so until I get home, I will live for Christ because he calls me his own. It's, it's, it's amazing. You shine brighter than the brightest sun. Your light endures when all is said and done. That, that's amazing. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, talks about how Jesus will be our, our eternal light. We won't have need for sun or moon. 
at that point anymore. His light, and I think metaphorically, his goodness will 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 last into all of eternity. And then lastly, just I love the last um, section of the song. It's really the best. Just exalting Christ and giving him biblical titles, self-given titles. I love when we do that. We give Jesus the titles that the scriptures give him. You're the lion. You're the lamb. You're the first and last, the great I am, son of God, son of man, with wounds in your hands. So good. So good. And then finally, forever, O Lord, you will be the eternal son. So I would encourage you to add this to your playlist. Listen to it. It's a good song. Plus, on top of it, you just can't beat that sweet jazz, uh, um, the, the, the saxophone solo. I mean, when's the last time you've heard a song that has a, a nice saxophone solo that isn't in some kind of like sarcastic way? I mean, it's a beautiful sax in the beginning and middles of the song, uh, and you just can't beat that. So it's got a sweet, smooth saxophone. It's got some sweet, smooth electric guitar parts. And on top of that, the lyrics are solid. So I would encourage you to listen to it. You could do this a worship song. For some reason, I wouldn't want to. I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I just wouldn't want to do it without the sax. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But for some reason, I I I I wouldn't. I really can't tell you why. Because it's it's really a pretty simple melody. I think a church could sing along to this um, really well. But I don't know. For some reason, it just it doesn't float my boat in terms of corporate worship. But feel free to add it to yours if if you have the authority to do that. Son of God, the Son of Man, with wounds in your hands. Well, thank you again so much for listening. Um, please make sure to tune in next week. I appreciate your time. And all, as always, we can't conclude without reminding you of this two, these two important truths. Make sure this week you maintain the gospel and maintain the fight. God bless. Forever, Lord, you will be the eternal